when I got a paper route, I used all my money to buy candy and some clothes, but uh, mostly candy. Laffy Taffy, I remember being one of the big stars of the show. Laffy Taffy, Spree, Starburst, Sweet Tarts, anything sour, loved it. I was hooked early on, folks. You gotta understand. I was just asked the other day by someone new to us if I was the Forbidden Doctor. Of course I said no. The Forbidden Doctor is not me at all. We are not the Forbidden Doctor. Jack is not the Forbidden Doctor. It's in you. The Forbidden Doctor is that magical, mystical power inside of you that is controlling and healing you. It's that beautiful, marvelous, almost miraculous force that controls all healing. It's that innate intelligence, that life force-directed influence that triggered your DNA to guide the building of your body after conception. Yeah, it's that power that sustains your life, repairs your wounds and lesions, and it never stops working. It's that essential part of you that keeps you alive and heals your every hurt. This is the Forbidden Doctor. It's not me. It's that part of you. The powers that be have decreed forbidden to ever learn about or even consider and never ever rely upon for it is forbidden that you even know this life force exists at all you are your own forbidden doctor yes hey everybody it's dr jack And this is episode 184, Dr. Josh Stockwell, on lectins and proton pump inhibitors. You've heard my son, of whom I'm very proud, who works with me in the clinic as another doctor, uh, on previous podcasts. And in this podcast, he addresses the 10 dangers of eating lectins. And if you are familiar with what a lectin is, it shows up in certain kinds of vegetables and legumes and can definitely lead to weight gain. He will also be talking about the dangers of proton pump inhibitors. Proton pump inhibitors are used to stop the stomach from forming acid. And of course, as you know, without acid in the stomach, you cannot digest proteins, nor can pepsin be released that's necessary for the further digestion of collagen, which holds meat together. I'm sure you will seriously enjoy and be glad you listened to episode 184 with Dr. Josh Stockwell. Good morning, everybody. This is not Jack Stockwell. This is his son, Josh Stockwell. So for today, the show is the Josh Stockwell radio program. I'm just Dr. Josh Stockwell filling in for Dr. Jack today. Good morning, everybody. It is the 2nd of October, and it's so much more mild this morning, thank goodness. When I went to my truck, I didn't have to scrape anything off the windshield. Like, it's it's too early, not yet. Um, I do like the cold. I like the winter. I just don't like it for as long as it sticks around here in Utah. But uh, I love living here in the state of Utah. I'm originally from here. I was born here down in Orem, 
at 4th East, 4th South. A little duplex down there. My father ran my mother over to the Utah Valley Regional Medical Center right after the movie Bonnie and Clyde began playing that night. Bonnie and Clyde with, uh, you know, Buddy. <laughs> I can't remember right now. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, it was on TV and they left right when it started. They, uh, I was actually presenting in the car. So they ran her into the room. I was born, wrapped everything up. They drove me home and they were able to watch the rest of the movie. <laughs> That's how quick it was. It was back in the 70s. So Utah's my home. I, I've lived in Orem, Layton, Kaysville, Provo, Cedar Hills, Sandy, uh, all over the place in Utah. I lived a couple years down in Arizona, a couple in Texas. And by the time I was 16, 17, I was in Iowa while my father was going to chiropractic college. And uh, I left for a Mormon mission from Iowa, and I came home from Brazil to back to Linden, Utah. So they had moved. My father graduated and moved back to Utah while I was spending uh, almost two years down in Brazil. And good heavens, what an amazing country. I grew up a lot down there. Um, not enough. <laughs> Still have some growing up to do. But uh the mission in Brazil, um the getting to know the Brazilian people and the culture. The food is different, the music's different. The um openness of the people is very different. And of course, there's nothing greater to attend or watch then a good game of soccer and they have leagues down there like we have the nfl and the nba and the you know down there they have their professional soccer leagues and there are no stars greater than soccer stars in brazil up here in the united states you know you could think about you know michael jordan or Joe Montana, you know, you can go across sports. And you can uh, see equal amounts of popularity from one sport to another. But nothing equals soccer in Brazil. And I, I had no idea what soccer was about. All I knew is that a game could end with the score of 1-0. to zero. And I thought that was pretty boring. Little did I know there was a lot more than just the score of one to zero. There's a lot more that goes into soccer and making it exciting. And it got into my blood down there. I thought it was amazing. Uh, the World Cup of 1994 was here in the United States while I was down in Brazil. And I don't know if anyone out there remembers or who watches the World Cup, but that was a very interesting World Cup. And by the way, the actor in... Uh, in the movie that was on while I was being born is Warren Beatty. Warren Beatty and Bonnie and Clyde. Anyway, thank you for helping me out with that, Jen. 
But um, I ended up watching a playoff game in the 1994 World Cup that had the United States versus Brazil. Now, the how the United States got through the playoffs that year, with the, I think there was a miracle somewhere, and it was almost another miracle when they played Brazil. I thought maybe the United States was going to beat them because it was 0-0 through the first, I don't know, 75 or 80 minutes of a 90-minute game. But the the home where I watched this this game, and we had had permission, don't worry, we had permission to watch this game. It was a very important game, and there was no way any of us were going to be able to do any teaching as missionaries, so we were given permission to watch this game at a member's house. So I'm sitting here in this... <laughs> In one of the members' house where we eat lunch sometimes. I mean, that's how you live in Brazil as a missionary. You don't get enough money month to month. Uh, I think we got $35 every two weeks is what we got. So we got $70 a month to get soap and any food that we might need, any clothes that we might need repaired, shoes you'd have to save up for. We got $70 every two weeks. So we're we're living like cheap, cheap. Anyway, so the way you eat when you have that little amount of money is that you get fed by the members. They take turns taking you into their home throughout the week. And each day at lunch, normally in a good area, you'd have a good, huge meal that would last you till lunch the next day. And that's how I lost 100 pounds in Brazil. <laughs> I've lost 100 pounds recently a different way and I'll tell you about that and and how easy and healthy it can be to lose that kind of weight but um, they sat me down these members of this household where we were watching this playoff game between Brazil and the United States if you lose this game as a play, in a playoff then you're out of the whole World Cup match in the preliminary games, you can afford to lose a game, maybe two, but now it's do or die. And they sat me down in the, on the couch, and they very politely yet very sternly said, if you make one supporting comment for your American team, you will never eat in this house again. <laughs> and they were, they were quite serious. I mean... Soccer is serious in Brazil. So as I sat there writhing in the chair um, at each close attempt that the United States came to in scoring, and finally when Bebeto just barely kicked a soccer ball underneath our goalie, our goalie's legs got a, got that goal, I I had to hide my, my grief and my pain. <laughs> I had to hide... Uh, you know, my excitement that we might win and just sit there quietly. Anyway, cute story. Um, I can't, I, in the last three months of my mission, um, a, a young man arrived in my area for the first three months of his. And at that time, you spent two months in the American MTC here in Provo, Utah, learning how to speak Portuguese, or at least learning the vocabulary Learning vocabulary and how to conjugate verbs does not equal fluency in language. That comes with a lot more work. 
the fluency aspect. People actually being able to understand you when you speak what you've been taught in class. <laughs> There's a big difference. Anyway, this kid shows up, and uh, I we knew that the new kids were arriving, and the guys who had been there for a while were being taken away. It's transfers time. And we walk over to the uh, district leader's house that morning because we knew that they had arrived the night before. And we open the door, and lying on the floor, it looks like there's a cow that has been covered up by a blanket. <laughs> this kid was so huge. And I don't mean fat. This guy was ripped, muscle-bound. And he just laid there as a huge pile of meat on the floor. Stood up. We got to meet him. He's from Taylorsville, Utah. His name is Paul Nagel. His short, curly brown hair. But he was he was immense. And when you're in Brazil as a missionary, um, people are very small. On average, Brazilians are quite small. And a lot of the missionaries are quite small because we're not eating too much. <laughs> So it was a big surprise. I, I took to him right away. We became um, good friends. I kind of took him under my wing. He was not my companion. But whenever we were together at conferences or whatever, I I uh, showed him the ropes. He let me use his Nike tennis shoes to play, his new Nike tennis shoes to play soccer on the hard soccer courts that are in the back of every chapel down there. Here you have a basketball court in every chapel. Down in Brazil, you have a a concrete, it's called salon, big room, big room soccer. You're not out on a field, you're, you're in a fenced, smaller area with a smaller ball that's heavier so it doesn't fly as far when you kick it. And it hurts more to kick it, it hurts more to stop it in the goal, but every church has one of these. So he would let me use his new shoes. That is an incredible, incredible... Uh, I don't want to say permission. It, it's it's a joy having been away from tennis shoes for almost two years and to wear those. Anyway, we were good buds. I would make pizza. All the elders would eat the pizza. They loved the pizza. So did he. But we became friends. That's the point. This kid, Paul. And uh, this is in the day before digital phones and sending images instantaneously from China to the United States. This is back when you had to mail pictures. You had to develop them first, and then you had to mail them. And mail from the United States to Brazil is quite slow, especially if you're a missionary because it gets to the mission home. And then they have to get it out to your area. And it usually happens at conferences. So the last conference I'm at, I'm hanging out with Paul again. And he has this big package that came in from his family. If you get a big package that comes in from your family when you're living in Brazil, it's, it's like getting a treasure chest full of gold. It is the best thing, especially if it had, like, Stephen's mint hot chocolate powder that you could make some hot chocolate with. A remembrance and taste of home, stuff like that. But he, yeah, his family loved him quite a bit. But along with this package that he got... He got a bunch of photos of his family when they were saying goodbye to him in the airport. And I was, he was showing me these photos. And I got the wind knocked out of me when he showed me one of these photos. 
and uh, I was really struck at the beauty of the creature that was on the photo. On this beautiful platinum blonde, short hair, had a collar necklace on and a cuff in her ear, and and this really angsty, like um, mischievous look on her face, and uh, absolutely beautiful. I'd never seen anything like her. I said, "Who's that?" And he's like, "That's my sister." I'm like, oh. <laughs> so it's not that you're cool. And we like hanging out, but you've got an incredible sister. I can see something happening here. I urged him to give me as many Brazilian um, paraphernalia, you know, just just gifts that you would, souvenirs, stuff like that, a Brazilian net that they sell in the streets, a, a way of drinking tea. It's called a cuya and a bomba, and you put shimahong in it. It's a mate tea. I mean, he gave me all sorts of stuff, and I was able to deliver that by hand to his family back in Taylorsville. And his parents looked at me and said, um, do you think it's possible that you could come back while our daughter's here? Because, because you know, she'd, she'd probably like to talk to you, seeing as you've been, you know, you've been recently hanging out with her brother, I you know, whatever they said. <laughs> I think I know what they meant. Uh, return missionary coming home. You know, Who else would you like your daughter to date? But um, I did go back, and that's where I met Jen, who was at the front desk of the office. I'm a chiropractor. I am a, an upper cervical chiropractor. I work at the head-neck junction at the very top of the spine. It's a, called the Nuka Technique. A lot of you out there probably already know this, but Jennifer has been working at the front desk for more than a decade, and she's an absolute gem and asset there at the office. But we have been now married in November. We will have been married 23 years, and I'm the luckiest man on earth. We have two beautiful children. So, that's me. Uh, I went down to Brazil and... and by chance, I wound up meeting my future brother-in-law and coming home and dating his sister for 11 months and marrying her. She's absolutely incredible. All right. So I mentioned that I'm a Nuka chiropractor. Well, um, yeah, don't, don't uh, confuse that with traditional chiropractic because... Uh, in chiropractic, like in all uh, health service industries, there's a certain level of specific specificity that you'll find at in different areas of the work. Um, you can have the kind of specificity that would uh, a low level of specificity where you could palpate the bones, you could put your fingers and hands on somebody's back in the place where they're hurting or otherwise and find a joint that isn't functioning as well as you think it should by pushing on it and they have complaints there so you you put your hand very strategically on a certain landmark on the bone and and have them breathe in and then breathe all the way out and then boom 
you can push on that joint to cause it to cavitate and make a pop. Now, that's one level of specificity. The kind of specificity that we deal with in a Nuka clinic um, is extremely high. I, I think it's the highest I've ever seen. I don't know any other technique out there that requires the strict requirements of, of um, precision that is required. Uh, in taking the x-rays, you have to be able to take a pre and a post x-ray that look identical with no rotation, with the right altitude. I, I, I digress. It's very difficult for me to explain how specific these x-rays are. Not only that, but the analysis of these x-rays. And you have a whole board of experienced expert NUCA doctors who are um, critiquing and teaching you how to do it better and better all the time. There's a certification program in NUCA, a certification pr program for the doctors. As a doctor, you have to keep learning. You have to prove that what you're doing is legitimate and specific and accurate to a board of live chiropractors who are looking at it and pointing out to you what's wrong all the time. This is a constant process of certification. And you can rise up certain levels of candidacy. There's level one candidacy, level two of which where I'm at right now, and level three where Dr. Jack is at. And as you get better and better and more skillful at what you do, you rise up in these levels of certification. You have to take exams that demonstrate your knowledge. You have to send in your x-rays to the experts for them to look at it and tell you if it's, you know, if you pass or not. There's a lot of other certifications in chiropractic that would require you only to take a multiple choice exam one time. And then they give you the certification. There's no test of your skill in the work. But in NUCA, the specificity is high. The requirements are high. The... The work that we do in the office, as a result, is very gentle. The more specific you are with chiropractic work, the gentler you have to, you you are able to become with when you touch somebody to adjust them. And our adjustment is very gentle. It's at the top of the neck. We adjust right at the atlas level underneath the skull, and we do so to cause a change in the alignment of the entire spine, from the top to the bottom. Is something that we are able to. Um, accomplish despite the fact that we're only touching one part of the body we can align the entire spine we were in the office yesterday morning and I had seen a patient and their spouse they were both patients as they were leaving and I was putting their x-rays away we're walking down the hall Where they can check out, excuse me. And uh, he looks over at me and he, and he says, you know, you've saved my life. And with, with my own mind processes and the way I think about what I do, I'm, I'm looking to achieve certain changes in their body's function. Right? I'm not in an emergency room trying to save somebody's life. I know people get saved all the time in a hospital room, but this was a little different.
uh, this patient had horrible, horrible low back pain and leg pain to the point where they were having a hard time getting around. Relatively young, you know, in their 60s. And uh, they had tried a lot of different things. They had tried other chiropractors. And he was at the end of his rope. Finally, he was ready to do whatever it took to get out of the dysfunction and pain he was in. He came into the office and we took the x-rays of him. We analyzed those x-rays to figure out the exact way to adjust that first bone in his neck to cause that change in his spine all the way down to his lower back. This is the thing that some patients have a difficult time understanding is that by gently um, accessing the body's balance mechanisms from the very top of the spine, you can cause resounding changes in the low back because the whole spine unwinds, the hips even out when they were once torqued around the sacrum. And you can get relief in that area even though you're contacting the area at the top of the spine. So he had he had a really great result after we were done with him. He went home, and after a couple days, his pain was almost completely gone. So you can imagine how happy he was when he came back, having suffered for as long as he did, tried as many things as he had, couldn't see where his life would be if things got worse. So as he, we were walking down the hall to the x-ray checkout, or the, to the checkout counter... He turned over his shoulder and says, you've saved my life. Now, here's the interesting thing about having somebody say that to you. I mean, if you don't break down and cry, <laughs> you know, over, over how significant a statement that is, it's because you've heard it several times. Now, I'm not on here to brag about this. I'm on here to let you know how powerful... The body's healing capabilities are when you release the nervous system and the function of the spine for the rest of the body and healing in the joints of the body and in the spine specifically. We hear this all the time. If we don't hear it two or three times a week, we know we're not doing our job. People at the end of their rope are usually the ones that are ready to come in and hear what we want to try when we attempt to help them feel better. Let's see if I can turn this on. Uh, thanks for calling K-Talk. What's your name? Uh, uh, Frank, Sandy. Just uh, need to have a, a question about the Panuka and the alignment. Yes, of course, Frank. Go ahead. Thanks for calling. Oh, uh, wonderful. Hey, uh, have you ever encountered or do you encounter individuals with uh, scoliosis um, that's uh, problematic in terms of uh, their functioning and the like? And I'll just hang up and, and listen to the uh, response. Thanks. Excellent, Frank. Thanks for your question. You're welcome. Frank has asked if we, work, uh, if we work with anybody who has scoliosis. And scoliosis is... Um, has a is a broad spectrum of of degrees to which somebody is suffering with scoliosis. Um, scoliosis can range from something that's undiagnosed as a gentle curvature from when you look from behind, if you look at somebody's back and you look from their head down to their hips, you're going to see this gentle kind of curve in the spine from one side to the other as it curves down. It makes this gentle squiggle. 
And then there are very severe forms of scoliosis that have actually been diagnosed by an orthopedist or someone else who has taken an x-ray and measured the angle that is created from the apex of one curve to the next. And when you get a measurement over 30 degrees, you're going to get a lot of uh, body torsion, which is where half the thorax is going to be pulled over. One shoulder blade is going to be sticking out a lot further than the other one. And there's going to be a lot of tension held in this person's spine. And instead of having a gentle side-to-side curve from the head down to the hips, you're literally going to see something closer to an S or a C because the curves are so much greater in degree. So I'm not sure what Frank was referring to in scoliosis that way, but I'll tell you what we can do for both cases. If you take the most minimal degree of scoliosis, which is a gentle right-to-left curvature, maybe one, maybe two curves in the spine, that is ext- it responds extremely well. Um, there are examples of pre- and post-X-rays with this kind of adjustment online. Um, if you go to cervical morph, just write down in YouTube, cervical morph. Cervical meaning neck. I know cervical sounds like cervix. You'll have to excuse that. Both parts of the body are very far apart from each other, the neck and cervix in the female. I'm talking about neck. And if you write cervical morph, M-O-R-P-H, then you can watch a, ta- a video of where pre and post x-rays were uh, morphed over each other and they made it into a video, one, one x-ray turning into the post x-ray. And that will show you some scoliotic cases from the lumbar spine and what happens when you adjust the upper neck and how the unwinding takes place. It's quite fascinating. So as Nuka chiropractors, we can have a great preventative effect in keeping the scoliosis from getting worse, which I have seen several times and have patients currently under my care that are suffering that way, at least a half a dozen but over the last 13 years, there's been plenty. You know, the, even the, the, the most twisted and the most tensioned scoliotic cases that I've seen still get benefit from what I'm doing. But if you've had scoliosis long enough and with enough tension, your bones have changed shape to accommodate for that stress. So, does, so now that the bones have changed shape, really there's, there's nothing you can do to bring someone out of that where there's been that much adaptation of the body to the curve, but you can still release the amount of tension in that system. Does that make sense? It's as if you, uh, I mean, think of having a towel in the tub and it's soaked up with water and you're, you're wringing it out just as hard as you can. And then if you let go of it after you've wrung it out for a while, just let go of the ends, you can see the towel kind of untwisting just a little bit in your hands, but it doesn't unravel all the way. Does that make sense? You can take the twisting tension off of the spine, and the scolio, the curve will not be reduced maybe by a degree or two, but the tension is off, and it's so much more comfortable. So there you go, boss. There's um, idiopathic scoliosis. There's... Scoliosis caused by bones that were uh, malformed. There's different kinds, but with the misalignment of the spine from the head to the hips, where there's a curve that you can see from the back, 
and it's minimal, those we can have a great effect over as to um, reducing the amount of curve. All right. So we are open for phone calls today. You can call us at 254-1640. That's 801-254-1640. I was just getting into some Nuka chiropractic and what we do in the office, what we have done for a long time. And let me tell you, a lot of people avoid chiropractic because they're afraid to have their necks twisted. And I don't blame them. I don't think necks should ever be twisted like that. I agree with you. We don't do that in our office. What we do in our office is, is a very specific stimulation of the first joint in the body underneath the head. The first articulating joint. It's the atlas. It's C1. And there's no disc between that bone and the skull. So if you have a hard time tilting your head back or tilting your head forward and there's pain or tightness, that may mean you have a pretty big misalignment between those two bones. As also, between the first and the second bone, if you go to turn your head to the left or to the right and there's pain and stiffness when you do that, sure, you could have a pulled muscle. But if you have reduced range of motion to the point where you're inducing pain, um, that's between the first and second bone. There's no discs between there. That's what allows you to turn your head as far as you do. If there were, if there were an intervertebral disc between one and two, you wouldn't be able to turn your head. Now, there is a disc between two and three and all the way down to the sacrum. And they rigidly hold the spine together so that the spine, you know, you can hang a human body from the spine and it's not going to separate. I mean, it's held very well together. It's a little morbid. My apologies. Caller, you're on K Talk. How are you doing this morning? Good morning. Good. And um, who am I speaking with? This is Dr. Josh. Oh, hi, Dr. Josh. This is Eugenia. I have a question bon on uh, bone. <laughs> On bone density, and um, I have a friend that she wants to have it checked, and what can she do if it's uh, low, or can you talk about that? Yeah, I'd be happy to talk about that. Thank you. Have a nice day. You're very welcome. <laughs> uh, bye. I, bye-bye, Eugenia. Bye. Nice to hear from you. Thank you. So, um... She wants to talk about bone density. I think that's extremely important. And the health of the spine... You gotta have mineral packed protein enriched bone. There's a there's a matrix of the bony aspect of of a bone, the hard part of it. Like um the the there's this netting on the inside of the bone and there's minerals packed around it. And it's a mixture of protein and minerals. And when you take an x-ray of a bone, which we do all the time. It's very easy to see the density, the mineral density, because mineral stops x-ray. So if you take a, an x-ray from the side of somebody's neck, then in front of the bones, it's going to be really dark, even black, and behind the bones, it's going to be very dark or even black. So... Um, the bone itself should be white because the x-ray is hitting the film and turning it black. And the bone catches the x-ray and inhibits it from hitting the film, so that place turns white. Now, we can look at the brightness of the bone on the x-ray, and we can see to a certain extent the density 
of those bones. And it's very important to have mineral-enriched bone. Strong bones, or else you're going to step wrong and break your hip. Anybody heard of that before? Um, there's a daily bone pack that Standard Process makes. So you don't have to buy several bottles of supplements. All the supplements are in one pack. You just take it on a daily basis. It includes ground-up veal bone and, and joints. It's called calcifood powder. Incredibly nutritious and contains everything in it that you need to build strong, healthy bones. It has calcium lactate in it. It has a few other things that help you be able to produce good, healthy bone. I think a bone bag is a very good idea for anyone who wants to have the nutrition required to make good, healthy bones in your body. But I'll also say this, and this is very important, because beyond statins, anybody knows what statins are? Statins are like Lipitor and, and Crestor and all these ores. <laughs> They're statin drugs that are meant to lower the amount of cholesterol in your bloodstream. That's the number one selling drug in America. Number two is, anybody want to guess? Number two, the number two prescription is Nexium. And not just Nexium, but other pro, um, proton pump inhibitors. They're called PPIs, and they're taken by people who have acid reflux disease. And I want to get into acid reflux disease because it has a lot to do with the density of your bones. It has a lot to do with the health of your body. And there's myths about why you have it and how to fix it. It's, it's a big, convoluted, confused mess, and I'm going to make it very, very simple for you. But the reason why I mention that, uh, Eugenia, is because when you take antacids, you are taking a proton pump inhibitor. But your body is not restricted to just the stomach that uses proton pump inhibitors. There are other areas of your body that use proton pump inhibitors. Your blood vessels, your brain, your kidneys, and your bones. Now this is how a proton pump inhibitor can ruin your bones. Because there is a constant dying off of dead bone tissue in your live, healthy body. And there has to be a replacement of that dead and decaying bone tissue. It has to be picked up by osteoclasts. And it has to be laid down by osteoblasts. So you have osteoclasts and osteoblasts. The blasts are laying down the bone. The clasts are picking up the dead bone. Now... It is very crucial to the function of the osteoclast, the bone cell that picks up the dead bone. It's very important that it can have its proton pump inhibitors working correctly, or else it can't oxidize and pick up that dead bone tissue. So, when you're taking these on a regular basis because your diet is completely messed up, and you've been eating the wrong foods, you've been told to eat the wrong foods... You're, you're, even though you're eating, you're malnourished because you're not absorbing anything and you're deteriorating and hurting the esophageal lining, the lining of your esophagus, the tube that goes from your mouth down to your stomach. 
is being irritated over and over and over again and is the cause for lots of problems when you have too much acid up above your stomach. Why can't that little sphincter at the top of your stomach hold back all of the problems uh, that are are associated with acid when it comes out of the stomach? You see, the stomach has this mucosal lining. So you've got protection from the acid in your stomach. It's not going to burn the crap out of your stomach. Excuse my... Excuse my uh, French there. But you've got all this acid in your stomach. It's not going to hurt the stomach wall, but it is going to hurt your esophagus because you don't have that mucosal lining and that protection that you have in your stomach. So if the acid comes out of the top of the stomach, that's how you feel your chest burning because literally your chest is burning. The esophageal lining cannot withstand the presence of acid. And you're hurting it over and over and over. And you need to understand why the reflux exists. So that you can stop doing what causes it. Rather than just cleaning up the symptoms that are caused. And cleaning up the symptoms is a very, very dirty, dirty job. You need to remove the cause of the symptoms. There's a difference between the two. If you get a headache... Because, let's say, you're eating something that you're very sensitive to. But it's your favorite food. But it blows you up. If anybody's seen the movie Box Trolls, there's this um, arrogant, power-hungry politician in Box Trolls who just loves cheese, but it makes him break out. He loves eating cheese. But it it causes him to not be able to breathe. Um, It's a very good analogy to today where we have multiple things in our diet that are poisoning us and causing functions in our body to decrease and causing symptoms. So let's say it's very simple in this case. You get a headache because you, you ate something that you're sensitive to. And then you go and take ibuprofen to take care of the headache. And you do this over and over and over again. Every time you eat something that you're sensitive to, You go and take ibuprofen to cover up the symptoms rather than stopping eating what you're sensitive to. But see, it's so easy to open up that bottle of ibuprofen. It feels so good to get rid of that headache. But that is slothful, my friends. I'll tell you what. You got to cleanse the inner vessel. Listen to me getting all scriptural. You've got to make sure that your body is functioning correctly by a, a determination through the route of, uh, you know, elimination. You need to figure out what you're sensitive to and stop eating that thing. And a lot of that work's already been done. You don't have to go do an allergy test that tests you for 750 things that might be in your household or in your diet. You don't have to go do all this stuff. It's much, much more simple than that. I want to get back to the um, stomach acidity before I get too far. Um, Taking proton pump inhibitors to stop reflux will not only cause your bones to become decayed and, and brittle and weak, 
and and the density to be stolen. Proton pump inhibitors will affect the pH of your entire digestive tract. Because if you don't have that powerful acid coming out of your stomach and going into your intestines, then you're going to create an environment where bacteria can thrive. Now, you have opportunistic bacteria in your gut. Everybody does. You've got strep. You've got staph. You've got campylobacter. You've got... um, I mean, I can go down a huge list. H. pylori... There's a huge list of opportunistic organisms that are living in your digestive tract. But if it is acidic enough, in the right places, you will be able to keep those in check. But if you get on a steady stream of proton pump inhibitors, you're going to raise the pH of your digestive tract and make it more alkaline. Therefore, far more suitable to these opportunistic bacteria. And they will take over. You can cause SIBO. Small intestinal, small intestine bacterial overgrowth. There's a lot of different things you can cause by taking these proton pump inhibitors. Now, I told you that I would tell you how to cure it. The um, esophageal reflux. And really, if I'm going to put it in really super simple terms, all you really have to do is stop eating indigestible things. (laughs) That's pretty much it. Um, And what is indigestible? Who gets to say what's right to eat? Um, Let me get into this a little bit with you. There's a connection between GERD and IBS. GERD is gastroesophageal reflux disease. Bacterial overgrowth. Um, Gas malconsumption of carbohydrates your inability to digest carbohydrates creates an environment for gas in the gut um i could get into that a little bit more but that's boring oh you you might want to hear a little bit more about that but the um the digestive tract of the human species is very efficient at digesting fat and digesting protein You're really good at it. If you eat anything other than protein and fat, you are going to run into a big issue of indigestion, whether that shows up as um, reflux disease, IBS, Crohn's, diverticulitis. There's a whole list of things that I could go through. Even cancer. If cancer is caused by an irritant that is constant and it doesn't get you know, released ever. There's no ever, never any relief from that irritant. There's a wide variety of irritants that could cause that, but everybody knows colon cancer is quite common. So what is it that we're doing to our digestive tracts that they would act so horribly? Is And I truly believe, folks, that we're putting the wrong food into our mouths. And there are plenty of studies that show the effects of maldigested or poorly digested carbohydrates in the gut. So when I say eat a lot of protein and fat, that doesn't include carbohydrates. It doesn't include bread. It doesn't include fruit or sweet vegetables or vegetables in general. Your ability to digest these things is very limited. And the food, if it is not meat or fat, must be prepared 
according to specific instructions and regulations in order to make that food appropriate for the human digestive tract. So if you're ever in a time when you don't have any animals to eat, it's going to be very important that you know the proper culinary techniques to remove the poisonous aspect of plants before you eat them. And by poisons, I mean lectins, inflammatory proteins, oxalates. Gluten is the most popular one. Everybody knows what gluten is. And what's amazing to me is that they're trying to avoid they're trying to avoid gluten by eating gluten-free things that are still as equally indigestible as what they were eating with gluten in it. So you know, let's say you have uh Let me I'm trying to make an analogy for you here, folks. <laughs> but if you go to buy meat in the store, and the meat's nice and bright and red and juicy. You're going to pick that, especially if it has a lot of marbling in the steak, right? But what if the steak you're going to get has been in there so long that it looks brown? Heck no. I, I'm not going to buy that steak because it's brown. Well, good choice. Get the fresh one. But here's the deal. Don't... If you're not going to eat that, don't eat something that's, the, you know, just slightly less brown... You go for the vibrant, red, beautiful, fatty meat. Get what I mean? Here's what I mean, is that if you're going to eat something that doesn't have gluten in it because it irritates your gut, don't eat something else that irritates your gut just a little less. <laughs> like, clean it up. Don't, don't eat the grain at all. Grain always irritates the gut in all situations. It is a constant irritant in the body. It causes a sugar reaction. As if you had eaten tablespoons of sugar. Like if you eat a bowl of cornflakes in the morning, good luck. If you're eating a bunch of bread and a sandwich at lunch, man, good luck. You are con you're, you're causing a lot of mal uh, dysfunction and malabsorption in your gut. Even the ability to absorb B12, these pro proton pump inhibitors, will inhibit. And I bring it back to protein pump inhibitors because I'm trying to tell you that all of these things that I've just gone over, the, the grains, plants, whatever, you are causing a disruption in your body's proper digestive qualities. When you have these carbohydrates that you eat that don't fully get digested because you don't have the ability to handle large amounts of carbohydrates in your digestive tract. No human being does. So if you have carbohydrates that aren't broken down, that are going into your gut, whether there's gluten in them or not, you are going to cause what's called, what's called intra-abdominal pressure. So if you get enough gas built up in your small intestine because the carbohydrates there are not being broken down efficiently, they are literally fermenting and creating liters of gas. 30 grams of undigested carbohydrates can produce liter, a liter of gas in your gut. 
And there were plenty of x-rays that we went over when I went through radiology that showed gas in the bowel. Whenever you have gas in an x-ray, it turns up more black than white. And you can see that these person's bowels were literally full of gas. What would cause the balance to be full of gas besides a can of beans? And it's literally carbohydrates in any of their forms, any of them. So that's where the proper cooking techniques come into play. So that you can turn these carbohydrates into something your body can deal with. That intra-abdominal pressure that's caused by the buildup of gas, which is caused by your inability to digest carbohydrates effectively, this pressure builds up and pushes on your stomach and literally will push the acid right out of your stomach into your esophagus, which has no protection against acid, and you will get heartburn. So how do you fix this? This is one of the easiest fixes to reflux that I know of. And it's not the fix for all reflux. It's not. But the majority of people who have reflux have it because they're eating too many carbohydrates. So stop eating the carbohydrates. Now that seems really simple on the surface. Hey, stop eating that. Yeah, well, what if you've got a bag of, you know, barbecue flavored deep, crispy, fried potato chips. (laughs) Which used to be one of my favorite things to eat. I just saw a picture of me two years ago. Oh my gosh, you guys. A lot of you know who I was two years ago and who I am now and the difference between in size, you know, because I'm almost 100 pounds less than I was. But man, that was one of my favorite things to eat. (laughs) But if you eat these kinds of foods... If you continue to eat them, there's no remedy for you but to further damage your body because the symptoms that are created by eating too many carbohydrates will make you need something, some kind of drug, whether it's ibuprofen or antibiotics, whatever. That's going to further hurt your body more than the undigested carbohydrates will. You see this vicious cycle here? Go keto, folks. Go keto. Recently, a patient came in and said, the doctor told me I had a heart attack and I didn't believe him. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) you're still alive standing here in front of me. How much of a heart attack it was, it must have been pretty minimal. And they said, guess how I fixed it. Uh, And I knew before they said it because I did it myself. They're standing there in front of me, 20 pounds less than they were the last time I saw them. And it had only been a few weeks. They went keto. And you know what they said to me? They didn't talk to me about their weight loss. That person didn't talk to me about, you know, anything else other than the fact that they were happy. This is very interesting when you switch to keto. You're not just going to fix your reflux. But you are going to change your brain's chemistry to the point where you can make enough hormones that you can calm down and that your anxiety starts to go away. You start to be kind to the people around you because you feel like you're safe and that you're in a good place. And the world isn't out to get you. I mean, I'm telling you, this is a total hormonal thing in the brain. It just amazed me how relaxed she was and how she could breathe again. 
and all she had done was gone keto. Now I'll tell you, myself, to do to be a little more brash, and to cut out all the plants and go carnivore, and I'll talk about that more here over the next hour, maybe about some more chiropract cool chiropractic stories. But ladies and gentlemen, you are being fed information from the media that will make you sick and will keep you sick. You are unwitting victims of, a, of an organization in society that is built to keep you ill and to keep you shelling out money to help with all the symptoms that you're going to have. You're being blinded to the truth of human health in the name of prophets. And I'm here to help free you of that if you want to hear it. If you are ready to put down the soda pop and save your own life, if you are willing to stop the drug of white flour and white sugar, you're going to avoid reflux just fine. And not only that, but you're going to avoid a whole host of sicknesses that are related to the standard American diet, SAD. I call it the stupid American diet. Because once you understand what's entailed in it, you'll agree with me. It's 100% stupid. Many of you may be finding us for the first time. Keep in mind the protocols on our website and what we are talking about are only available to logged in users. But you can create an account instantly by taking our free no obligation symptom survey at ForbiddenDoctor.com. Understand the survey saves you money in the long run because you're not going to be taking supplements you don't need. And all of this at no charge to you. And if you would like, 20% off all the time, join our VIP membership. Just go to ForbiddenDoctor.com slash VIP to listen to a short video on the benefits. And let's start your healing process today. Good morning, Salt Lake City and the surrounding metro area. <laughs> it's fun being a host most of the time. This is Josh Stockwell. I am a chiropractor, and I am also a seeker of truth, <laughs> which sometimes is a very lonely road. <laughs> Dr. Jack Stockwell is my father. I'm one of his eight children. And uh, number two, actually. Um, I work in his office. I have for the last six years and uh two years before that in another period so we've been hanging out a lot he taught me everything i know about chiropractic he taught me how to take x-rays he taught me how to analyze them he had taught me how to adjust the spine to make it function better again um it's a very gentle form of chiropractic i suggest uh, that anyone who is looking for proper health and function of the spine, for whatever reason, for symptom relief, for um, just alignment in general and ease of body function. I mean, there's a lot of reasons to start this stuff. There's no, there's no, nothing bad that can happen to your body because of the adjustment we do. We don't twist, pop, or crack the spine. 
if you want a gentle solution to your chiropractic issues, please call us at 801-523-1890 and schedule a complimentary consultation. Like come in and talk to us about what you're going through and whether see if whether we can help you or not. Uh, you definitely could not be in gentler, more specific care. Um, that being said, we uh, talked a lot about last hour about, um, you know, reflux. Eugenia had, had mentioned reflux, and I, I just kind of went off on it because it ties in so much with my main narrative that, I, that I've had over the last year. Um, that in order to bring proper function to the body, you have to change what you're eating. If you want to eat poison every day, even if you're St. Peter and a snake jumps out of the fire and bites you on your wrist, I mean, that happened once according to the record that was kept. It didn't happen all day, every day. Maybe Peter's uh, fortunes would have been much, much worse <laughs> if, if he had been bitten by a snake three times a day for, you know, years in a row. <laughs> he, his outcome probably would have been much different. Because, folks, when we are consuming foods that are poisoning to us, that's exactly what we're doing, is we're poisoning ourselves. And the level to which we will be able to notice that we're being poisoned, it's not like asphyxiation. Like, all of a sudden, you're not going to be able to breathe. It's that over time, over decades, the way your body handles function at an intracellular level is going to shift. All the way down to your cells, you're going to have issues. And whether that shows up to you as chronic pain, uh, maybe it'll be too late and it'll show up as Alzheimer's or Parkinson's. Maybe it'll show up as heart disease or cancer, but make no bones about it, folks. These are food-related diseases. And you can change. You can make different choices. If you understand and have the knowledge of the human body that anyone of my level of knowledge has. And it's, you know, I, I research and study a lot about the function of the human body. But there are a lot of people that are way more, you know, well-versed in, in diet and the function of the body. Um, for instance, Carrie, who works in our office. I don't know anybody more knowledgeable than Carrie about the function of the human body concerning nutrition and diet. I, I don't know anyone. Now, I can trump her, I'm sure, on intersegmental vertebral health. But <laughs> but if you guys... Ha she works out of the office. You can feel free to schedule an appointment with her for a consultation. 801-523-1890. Um, you can fill out a survey that will categorize your symptoms and she'll know exactly how to instruct you to relieve yourself of it without drugs without surgery without life-changing invasive procedures and drugs side effects of drugs are always a thing there isn't a drug that doesn't have a side effect but if you can heal it by changing what you eat how powerful is that return the proper healing and function to your body by stopping the activity of poisoning yourself. Anyway, Carrie can teach you how to do that. At 801-523-1890, you can schedule with her. 
Um, my path led me down a very, very sick road. I was 380 pounds at one point, folks. That's a big dude. 62380, that's a big dude. And uh, I had to figure out how to heal myself. And I tried multiple ways. Always trying to keep the carbohydrates in the picture. That's why veganism is so uh, appealing to a lot of people. Is because they can change the way they're eating. That is apparent. That seems to be healthier. But they can also keep their potato chips. Believe it or not. Potato chips are vegan. If donuts aren't cooked in animal fat. Then they're vegan too. Hooray! I can be vegan and eat some donuts and potato chips. I can eat spaghetti. <laughs> I can eat a a vegan cheese sandwich. Like <laughs> eat all the vegetables you want if you like vegetables. But uh, I think uh, the, the reason I went to veganism is because I got to keep my drug carbohydrates. I was addicted to sugar from as early as I can remember. I remember. Looking through the couches, looking through the cars, looking through the drawers, trying to find enough pennies and nickels. And this is back in the late 70s. Just to go to Vern's Market on close to 1600 North and State Street in Orem, Utah, so that I could buy some candy. <laughs> when I got a paper route, I used all my money to buy candy and some clothes, but uh, mostly candy. Laffy Taffy, I remember being one of the big stars of the show. Laffy Taffy, Spree, Starburst, Sweet Tarts, anything sour. Loved it. I was hooked early on, folks. You gotta understand. You ever anybody seen that uh, internet video that has that Indonesian, that chubby Indonesian kid who's about five or six years old smoking a cigarette and telling everybody what to do? <laughs> That was me, except my drug was sugar. And there's, it's more detrimental to your health than cigarettes. Hands down. But it's allowed. We let kids go out and get all these drugs at Halloween. It's drug, folks. You know, let your kids go out there and eat a bunch of drugs? I did. I let my kids do it. Until I wised up. Understood what I was doing. It ruined my body. It ruined me from the inside out. And I was on the verge. I had to do something to heal myself. And someone told me about Jordan and Michaela Peterson. A couple Canadians. Uh, Jordan Peterson is a professor at the University of Toronto. And he's a philosopher of sorts. Has a great book on the 12 important things the steps of a good life or something like that i got crap but guys i can't remember the title of the book but jordan peterson a lot of you know who he is his daughter michaela was very sick when she was growing up horrible anxiety and depression and she went to keto and it helped and then she went further to carnivore and she cured herself of everything she eats beef salt and water and fasts and drinks salt water like she'll put a teaspoon of Celtic sea salt in a glass of water and drink it during fasting. Some really avant-garde stuff concerning diet and fasting. 
that she's on the cutting edge of, and she's completely healed herself of rheumatoid arthritis, anxiety and depression, eczema, and a whole host of other maladies. And when my brother introduced me to their story, I thought, maybe there's something in here that's going to help me. Let's see. I had seen the diet ways that involve trays with multiple compartments in them, and you're supposed to, like, every Sunday cook and prepare all this food and put two grams of vegetables here and then three grams of protein here and then oh man you guys you may be some some of you may be anal enough to do that what's required the focus necessary to create all these things that you're going to eat from all week long and man i just need a steak <laughs> when i heard about the carnivore diet and then all you did was eat steak i went oh this might work this might work. And and I researched, researched it. I found that it... Um, it was my brother who had told me about it, right? But I had researched it and found that there were quite a lot of nutrients in meat and fat. And if it was the only thing you ate with nothing else with it, then it's very easy to digest. And I went after it, and I started eating only meat. Can you imagine that? Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You know, bacon and eggs for breakfast, steak at lunch, steak at dinner. Like, I, I was eating meat. And meat products, animal products, all the time, all day, and almost immediately my mood started changing. Like the lady that I, that I talked about last hour, who had had a heart attack and she went to keto, and all of a sudden, her, you know, her daughter doesn't recognize her because she's so kind and nice, and she's not irritable anymore. This is what happened to me. My kids noticed it right away. I started eating only meat in an attempt to save my own life, and all of a sudden my kids are like, where's our irritable, you know, ogre father? They started doing it with me. And together as a family, we started healing our bodies. My wife did it too, Jennifer. And now it's been more than a year, and I'm down almost 100 pounds. My daughter lost a lot of weight herself. So did my son, for that matter. He lost his belly. He gained a his pecs and his chest and his shoulders. And we all live in this really nice harmony in the house. And I tell you, I think the majority of it is the elimination of processed carbohydrates. This is how I've been able to heal myself. People come into the office that haven't been there more than a year and they don't know who I am hardly. The changes are so extreme. And all I did was start eating only animal products. Is that an easy thing to do? Can you still, you know, go to the bathroom? There's a lot of questions that I get when I tell people that. How do you go to the bathroom? Well, like anybody else, on a toilet. <laughs> I still have bowel movements. That's, I don't want to get too much into that. This is family radio. But that is completely normalized. Of Something I had a problem with for 30 years in my life. I was so sick by the age of 11, I couldn't have a proper bowel movement. That's how much addicted to sugar I was. And I was lucky it never showed up as, you know, diabetes in my case. But there were certainly a host of other things that were very difficult for me. That have been cured. By eating only animal products. By eliminating carbohydrates entirely. <clears throat> when you eliminate carbohydrates in plants, you're not just eliminating carbohydrates you're not just eliminating 
you know, indigestible things. You're eliminating a lot of poison. And before I get too much into that, I've just reminded myself. Folks, Halloween is coming up. And there's a tradition at Halloween that has to end. You have to quit giving drugs to kids. I use that term because refined sugar is a drug. It has a drug-like effect on the body. It requires an immense amount of minerals for your body to process. It poisons you. It's a drug. White flour is not a food. It is a drug. There is no nutritional quality to it whatsoever. It inflames your digestive tract, and it causes a drug-like sensation in your brain. It is a drug. But let's focus on the sugar, because you all are about to go out to Costco and buy these big bags of sugar. I implore you, try something different this year. Do not contribute to the problem of sugar in this country, and it is a huge problem. I know it may seem radical or rash, but a lot of truth does a lot of the time. I'm telling you to stop eating flowers and sugars and plants for that matter if you want to heal your body. Some plants are necessary, I admit that. Carrie knows a lot more about that than I do at the office. If you want to heal yourself and still eat plants, please talk to Carrie. 801-523-1890. Wealth of knowledge. She's an expert in her field. You won't find the kind of knowledge and expertise that she has just anywhere. It's got to be someplace special, like my office. And I'm biased, I know. But what we offer for healing for individuals is extremely powerful. For the spine and for the body. But I want you to stop giving candy to kids. I don't care if it's fun. I don't care if they cry. So do heroin addicts when you take away their heroin. So do meth addicts when you take away their meth. They'll, they'll cry. They don't have anybody else to steal from to buy their stuff. They're going to do a lot of crying. Yes, I am comparing sugar to cocaine and heroin and meth. Now let me tell you why. This is not really a radical idea when it gets laid out for you. When you understand what the processes are to making sugar and compare it to the processes of making, say, cocaine. Let's compare them, folks. Maybe you've heard this before and it's redundant. Maybe you haven't heard it and you need to hear it. You have people who live in the high mountains of the Andes where the air is very thin and it really helps to have a little bit of cocaine, but they don't buy it from a dealer in a little white powder baggie on the street. They have the leaves of the coca tree which they have been using for millennia. They've had a long time. They chew up these leaves and it gives them a boost when they're hiking in through these mountains. They chew the leaves. There are a lot more things that come through onto your tongue and your mouth and your mucosal lining of your digestive tract besides the cocaine. There are a lot of other phytochemicals and it's much healthier for you to just chew on a leaf. But if you take those leaves and you process them chemically down to the point where you remove all of the, um, everything but the active constituent of that leaf, 
So the leaf's got cocaine in it, but you use chemical processing to remove everything but the cocaine. You have now created a drug. Before, when you were chewing on the leaf, there was a lot more going on. It's not really a drug at that point. Just as if you were to chew on sugarcane, there's a lot more minerals and other things that are going to go into your body. But we don't chew on sugarcane. We don't chew on sugar beets. We don't chew, well, you chew on corn, but... Yeah, corn is straight sugar, folks. Fiber and sugar. But here's the deal. You take a plant like a sugar beet, and you put it through a bunch of chemical processes until you have glucose, or fructose, or sucrose. You break down that whole plant down to a white powder. Sounds a lot like cocaine, doesn't it? Sounds a lot like heroin to me. You can make milk of the poppy, like in Game of Thrones, <laughs> milk of the poppy. No, but if you watch the movie, um, I think it was called Syriana or... No, not Syriana. It was the one with Brad Pitt and Galadriel from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Kate Blanchett. <laughs> and she gets shot by an errant bullet. And um, I think it's... Maybe it's called uh, Traffic. I can't remember. Anyway... There, there are these people who live in Afghanistan or wherever she is that make this potion from the poppy plant that will help her to not feel the pain so much. Now, it's not that they're giving her heroin straight into her bloodstream, but the active constituent of the poppy is mixed in with other aspects, phytochemicals. So... When you make heroin, you remove everything but the active constituent. When you make sugar, you remove everything but the active constituent. You, you remove all other aspects of the plant. You're dealing with a drug. So I want to ask you, please. If, if you want to take up the fight against drug abuse in this nation, you start by stopping to give kids candy at Halloween. Or Christmas. Or Easter. Or birthdays. Thank you for calling K-Talk. You are on the air. What's your name? This is Randy. Uh, I spoke with you a bit off air, but, you know, there's a couple things here that your father really helped me out with that I think need mentioning. Go ahead. Uh, he, he had a lot of bone broth in my diet when, when I changed some of the things that helped. And... and and just a side note of my own looking into this, uh, glyph uh, you have glyphosate in the food chain now. That's you, in the You plants. can't let that get in. It, it kills all the good bacteria in your stomach. That's, that's another key factor is uh, the bacteria in your stomach. And uh, this stuff functions as, a, as an antibiotic in your stomach. And I, I, a lot of my problems started when I had, you know, multiple courses of antibiotics. Well, I hate to tell you, but your blended-up vegetables probably have a lot of glyphosate in them. No, because I grow them myself. Well, then I take it back. <laughs> they, give, they give you the minerals. If you grow your they, own they, vegetables, and yeah, you'll you'll you're going to avoid the glyphosate. Or, or organic, you. but it's just the it's the mineral content. Uh, you know, I avoided milk. I, I quit drinking milk. 
and the white flower. You know, there's a lot of things you said today that uh, that, that play into this. But yeah, are you I, I going just, to uh, give candy and sugar to kids this Halloween, Randy? Uh, I don't think so. I would I, urge you. I, I give to find quarters something or something. What was that? I give quarters. There you go. I'm sure. <laughs> then they'll just go to the gas station and buy candy. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I've got one. My youngest son. He he don't go trick or treating. Yeah, good. And he's and he's happy with it. Yeah. Because uh, he got scared very early, and his mother put a mask on and scared him so bad. Now he don't want nothing to do with Halloween. Well, that's one way of fixing the problem. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, I just thought that that uh, needed some discussion because I think that glyphosate is really nasty stuff, and so are antibiotics. When you when you if you must take antibiotics, you have to uh, get some different things. Uh, it seemed like your your dad had some uh, some kind of yeast he gave me. Lactic acid yeast wafers. Yeah. And different uh, probiotics. Yes, which are all very important, especially after a round of antibiotics. I believe I believe you're right. All right. Randy, thanks for giving us that information. Okay. And for calling in. You have yourself a nice day. Thanks for calling K-Talk. You're on the air. What's your name? Uh-oh. They just hung up. Go ahead and call back. If you'd like to be on the air, 254-1640. We're taking calls for the next 30 minutes. We've been talking about a lot today, but I wanted to um, urge everyone out there who is listening to choose something different to give to kids. You could They're all going to school. You could give them pencils, erasers, pencil sharpeners, um, <laughs> crayons, um, you know, there's so many, think of something, give them something else other than candy, and it doesn't matter what kind of looks you get when they come to your door, but don't play the drug game. If I can, if I can give you one one thing to take away from the show this morning is that you understand that when you're giving them that sugar, you're giving drugs to kids. Now, not in the way that the DEA and the FBI and the police would want something to do with it. For some reason, it is perfectly acceptable and legal for you to do so. But I can't... I, I just can't stress enough how much of a problem it creates in someone's health the rest of their life to start out that way. So, um, Randy had mentioned broth. And there is a way of doing a diet called GAPS, the gut and psychology syndrome, that will change your gut. And it involves broth, either buying it or making it. But not the kind of broth you get on the shelf at the grocery store. I would not agree that that's a very healthy product. The sodium that's in it is not like sea salt. It's like Morton's. It's iodized salt. Another drug. If you take something like Celtic sea salt or real salt or pink Himalayan salt, 
a really good sea salt, and you remove everything but the sodium and the chloride, you get Morton's salt that acts more like a drug than it does a salt. That's why people tell you to stay away from salt. They're not talking about Celtic sea salt. They're talking about Morton's iodized salt. That'll have a different physiological effect on the body than these salts that contain a lot of minerals in them. So, you make broth. That's the first step of the GAPS diet. Very healing to the gut. Now, I had done that. And I just couldn't do it anymore. It's not that you can't do it. It's very healthy and it's a good way to restore health to the gut. I just couldn't do broth anymore. So when I found out I could do it with steak, that I could heal my guts with steak, I was quite pleased. And folks, a lot of your um, antibiotic effects of drugs that you take or glyphosate, the way to repopulate your gut with the proper microbiome is to eat proper foods. Because your microbiome will shift and shape itself around what you're eating in the majority of instances. So if you cut out all the things that feed opportunistic bacteria, they're going to wane in their population numbers. And that includes salmonella. That includes um, candida. That includes a lot of the other organisms that I mentioned earlier today. H. pylori, campylobacter, E. coli. All of these can be kept in check when you have the proper pH because you're eating the proper foods. You create an environment for the beneficial bacteria to grow. If you don't have the right environment in your gut and you put beneficial bacteria in, but the environment isn't right for them, what's going to happen to all one billion of those that were in that pill that you took? What's going to happen to those probiotics that you just swallowed? When they get down to their home in the large intestine and the small intestine, what are they going to do if the environment isn't correct for them? They are going to die, and you are going to eliminate them. And the good that they did was extremely minimal. It was explained to me once this way by Mark Anderson of Standard Process West when he was doing the seminar. He said, you've got a, you got a billion people here on the planet. Let's suppose you had the capability of shipping them to Mars. You take a billion human beings, and at this point in time, you just ship them to Mars. And the ship lands... And everybody goes, woo, we're on Mars. We're here. We're on Mars. How long are they going to survive? Especially if they get off the ship. <laughs> like the environment is not right. And all one billion of those human beings are going to die. That's morbid to think that, you know, between to compare humans to a microbiome. <laughs> but it really illustrates the point. If you're taking probiotics and the environment in your gut isn't suitable for them, they are going to perish and you might as well just take that 50 or $60 that you spent on probiotics and rip it up and throw it in the toilet and flush it down. Because that's where all those probiotics are going. But if you change the pH of your gut, if you change the acidity levels back to normal because you're eating things that you can properly digest, then you're going to do wonderfully with the microbiome in your gut. It's going to work really well. You're going to be able to absorb the nutrients that you need to absorb. Mainly B12. You have got to have the right conditions to absorb B12. 
you have got to have the right conditions to be able to absorb calcium and push it into your bones. That requires your liver to function well. And if you're eating a lot of carbohydrates, your liver is very ill. You have to be able to make K2 from vitamin K so that you can push the calcium into those places in the bone where the mineral is held. You have to have all the tools necessary to rebuild your body from one moment to the next or eventually something's going to break down in a big way. So you've got to be eating the right foods. And I just, I'm sorry, Randy, I couldn't do broth anymore. But man, I can still do steaks. I've been eating steaks for more than a year as a main part of my diet. And I just had a couple bites this morning before I left the house. Big, huge pieces of crispy fat with a little bit of meat on them. Like there's nothing easier for your body to digest. There's this big myth out there that when you eat cholesterol, somehow you're going to put the cholesterol in your blood vessels. <laughs> if you eat cholesterol, you're going to get fat. If you eat fat, you're going to get fat. There's never been a bigger myth. I was talking about how sugar is acceptable. Boy, that's a big, huge problem. Sugar is a big, huge problem. It should be regulated like alcohol or weed. But if you... <laughs> If you eat cholesterol, it's not going to put cholesterol in your bloodstream. It's not going to make you fat. Eating those things will make you normalize your body fat percentage because you can digest them and get all the nutrients you need for life from fat. If you ate a diet of 80% fat, animal fat, not plant fat, if you ate a, a, or seed oils, I'm talking about animal fat and meat. If it was an 80-20 ratio of 80% fat, 20% meat, you would know a level of health that very few human beings know. Keto has to do with a lot of fat in the diet. You need it desperately. You do not need sugar in the slightest, except if you're living in an area where you're going to be exposed to the elements, you're going to want to get some fat on you before the winter comes, especially if food is scarce. <laughs> because you gotta you gotta survive the winter. I'm talking about, you know, three hundred years ago. You better eat that apple pie in the fall, that pumpkin pie, get that fat on you. I may sound a little hypocritical having told you not to eat sugar, but we live in a low, we live in a in a time right now where sugar's not necessary. You can make all the sugar you need in your liver. You can turn on your heater when you go in the house. You don't have to get fat before winter, although that's the time to do it. And you do it by eating fruit ripe off the tree. How many of you are eating fruit that is not in season? That's a big mistake. That's going to cause changes in your body that you would rather not see, believe me. You want to eat berries every day, all year long? Boy, that made me so sick. I tell you what. I was doing these shakes with bananas and berries in them back before I found the carnivore diet. Oh, heavens. The amount of sugar that I was getting and the amount of berries that I was eating was far beyond anything that, I, that the human being has evolved to eat. You know how many teaspoons of sugar are in one banana? I believe it's seven teaspoons. Six or seven teaspoons of sugar in one banana. I'm like, oh. And I was shoving these into shakes. I put two... If I put two bananas into a shake with a bunch of berries, I was having well over 20 teaspoons of sugar for breakfast. 
No wonder I was getting more sick, thinking I was doing myself a favor by making these smoothies. Even if you do put spinach in it. And even if you if you put spinach in it, now you're getting a whole new level of poisons. And I would like to spend the last 20 minutes of the show talking to you about how plants protect themselves. And to help you understand that all these plants that you're eating, despite what you've been taught, despite what you've been heard up to this point, what you have heard up to this point, plants are not good for you as a main caloric intake. They are not. This is a big surprise. They are not as good for you as you think. Now, I, let me just preface that with an article that I have here that I read yesterday or the day before. You've been told to stay away from red meat, haven't you? You've been told that red meat can cause colon cancer and heart disease, haven't you? But there is really very, very small association between red meat and these diseases. But if they can convince you that red meat is bad, they can convince you to eat their crappy, cheap-to-make, carbohydrate-ridden, packaged, refined foods. What else do you have to eat if you're not eating meat? You're not eating fresh vegetables all the time. So you're going to start making your pastas and your cereals and your breads. Let me read you something here. This came out in the New York Times recently. Everyone needs to hear this. New York Times. Thank you, guys. Eat less red meat, scientists said. Now some believe that was bad advice, and I agree 100%. There's nothing more easily digestible in the human digestive tract than red meat and the fat that is attached to it. You have evolved over hundreds of thousands of years to be able to handle that kind of diet. You have the same pH in your stomach as a hyena or a vulture. I think a vulture has 1.5. You're 2. A 2 pH. And if you eat the right foods and maintain that pH, you can eat carrion for crying out loud. Because you'll be able to destroy all the opportunistic bacteria that comes with eating rotted flesh like a hyena or a vulture. You have the stomach for it. But is your stomach, is the pH of your stomach in your system enough to fight off those pathogens? Let me say right now, I'm not recommending that anybody eat rotted meat. Or raw meat, for that matter. I'm not recommending that. I'm saying that your stomach is the same pH of these animals that do that very thing. And that if your pH in your stomach is lowered because you don't have proton pump inhibitors working in your gut because you're taking Nexium or... Prevacid or some other crazy proton pump inhibitor drug, you're going to allow for the passage of bacteria to go through your stomach and into your small intestine. And you're going to create a lot of issues. We talked a lot about proton pump inhibitors early in the show. But you can eliminate your need for them. They don't just affect the proton pump inhibitors in your stomach. They affect the ones in your brain, in your bones, in your liver, in your kidneys. And you shut down a huge portion of the proper function of your body, even at a cellular level when you take these things. One of these ways to not need 
um, gastroesophageal reflux disease prescriptions anymore is to go to eating meat that you can digest and digest fully. Now the New York Times has agreed. Eat less red meat, scientists said. Now some believe that was bad advice. And they go on to the study that involved more than 4 million people. And they said, if there are health benefits from eating less beef, they are extremely small, the researchers included. Indeed, the advantages are so faint that they can be discerned only when looking at huge populations and are not sufficient to tell individuals to change their meat-eating habits. You will actually decrease your health by decreasing the amount of meat you eat because it is so species-appropriate. The most species-appropriate food for the human species is meat and fat. I kid you not. It will only make you healthier, but you have to stop eating it with other things. You can't eat it with pasta anymore. You can't eat it with rice. You can't eat it with a potato. You need to eat it alone and allow your body to work its magic by extracting all the nutrients available by tearing that steak apart in your gut. If you swallowed a whole piece of steak, your body would still have a very, very capable time digesting that piece of meat. Your stomach makes pepsin. Pepsin digests collagen, which is in meat. Your pancreas and your gallbladder make protein and fat enzymes. Multiple meat and fat enzymes. Doesn't that say enough about what the human diet should consist of? That you have the ability to digest like that? Meat and fat? So that's why I use the term species appropriate. Now, I want to talk to you about the plants because I want you to understand what is included when you eat a plant. It's when you eat a carrot, they say you get vitamin A. No, you don't get vitamin A, you get retinol or beta carotene. And beta carotene is a precursor to retinol. It's a precursor. 5% of all the beta-carotene you get from a carrot turns into retinol. So don't fool yourself thinking you're getting all these vitamins for your eyes when you eat carrots. You're getting sugar and fiber, two things of which are very irritating to the digestive tract. Make sure to eat your plants and veggies. Make sure to eat your veggies. Man, what, what brainwashing and programming. Now... If, if you're living when there's not a lot of animals around, yeah, you're going to have to eat your vegetables. But if you have meat in the abundance that we have meat today, there's almost no need for them. Plants and vegetables are not put on this earth to serve human beings. Maybe in a famine. If you don't have an animal, you can survive on plants until you find another animal. But these plants, you have to understand, they're alive. They don't want to be eaten. What wants to be eaten? Other than a parasite. It doesn't want to be eaten and it has its own protective mechanisms. 
It can't uproot itself and run from you to save its life and its babies, which are its seeds. They can't form large herds and encircle each other and protect each other from the lions, which are us in the plants instance. Instead of fleeing or attacking, plants have these chemical booby traps that poison their predators. Much akin to Macaulay Culkin in Home, uh, in Home Alone. Where the, the thief would grab the doorknob when it was red hot and it would burn his hand. There are things that you will eat in the plants that will burn the inside of your body. One of them's gluten. Everybody knows what gluten is. There are whole expos on gluten-free stuff. Find out what you can still eat and be gluten-free. You're missing the point. <laughs> it's the plant itself that has all the poisons in it. Go beyond the gluten. Gluten is a good thing to get rid of. But just get rid of the dang plant. And you're trading one plant for another when you go gluten-free. What other poisons are you taking in? Because all you're doing is looking for gluten-free grains. They can cause autoimmune disease. They can cause insulin resistance. Lectins can cause obesity. They can cause a leaky gut, which means the very delicate um, passageways from the intestine into the bloodstream that are these tight junctions are literally pushed open by this kind of cement that allows food to get into your bloodstream that shouldn't be there. So, it turns out that your plants aren't so innocent after all. They're loaded with these chemical weapons that attack their predators. Some plants will even let out a scent that will attract an animal that will be a predator of what's eating the plant. That's the intelligence of life working, folks. And anything that's alive has this intelligence within it that runs all of the mechanisms in the cells and keeps that thing running and surviving and replicating itself. We tend to think of only refined sugar and carbohydrates as unhealthy, but these chemicals that are in the plants that you think are healthy can also be damaging. One of the most damaging plant chemicals are lectins. They are carbohydrate binding proteins, and they bind to the carbohydrates that are on your cells and stop certain cellular functions. They can cause a severe immune reaction in bugs. That's why the plants make them. Bugs will have a paralytic attack when they get a, enough of these lectins in them. But these same mechanisms that would kill these insects kill you and are a detriment to your health, I should say that. Lectins are in both plants and animals. However, the most damaging lectins are in plants. In fact, the most damaging lectin out there is the white powder that they send in the envelopes to the mail department and the Pentagon and the White House. You've, you've heard of ricin. Ricin is a lectin that is powerful enough to kill a human being. There are a lot of other lectins and plants that you're getting in your diet that are stopping certain bodily processes and making you ill. So don't think that plants are your salvation. So, I said before, unlike animals who can run away, plants can't. 
They need extra protection for themselves and their seeds. Plants tend to concentrate their defenses in their seeds because they're protecting the family jewels. Over time, through evolution, the plants that were best able to protect their offspring are the ones that survived. Thus, the plants and vegetables that exist today are even more capable of protecting their seeds. So, folks, if you're going to eat squash, if you're going to eat a potato or a, a tomato, don't eat the seeds. Don't eat the skins, for that matter. The skins are loaded with them, too, because the skins are the first defense against protecting the seeds. But don't eat the seeds. Those are where most of the lectins are. They are highly inflammatory proteins, and they're resistant to cooking and digestive processes. So they pass right down through to your gut where they wreak literal havoc. By design. By nature's design. Humans continue to try to eat plants. We try over and over to find different methods to remove the lectins from them. These are the two lectins you want to look out for, guys. Gluten is the most renowned. It's actually a complex of hundreds of different proteins, mainly consisting of two, the names of which are not important. It is the main protein in wheat and compromises approximately 80% of the protein that's in wheat is gluten. It can cause a whole spectrum of reactions. Remember, when you're eating wheat or a grain, you're eating the seed of the plant. And the seed is the most highly protected part of the plant. For obvious natural reasons. People that are highly allergic can be killed by gluten. This alone should make you skeptical of all the health claims around it. The real danger stems from the fact that you do not have the enzymes to break down these proteins. You don't make the enzymes to break them down. You make the enzymes to break down animal proteins, so you should be eating those instead. They are incapable of being digested, and anything that cannot be digested or expelled causes harm in your body, including fiber. Celiac disease, a severe gluten allergy, is on the rise. However, gluten is not just a concern for people that have celiac disease. It damages everybody. You don't have to have celiac disease to stop eating gluten. You can save yourself by stopping eating it right away. When you eat gluten, it stimulates the, res the release of zonulin, and that's what pries the gut wall open and allows for food to go into your bloodstream. Leaky gut. This is how autoimmune diseases are created. One of the ways. Gluten-free products, when you go to avoid the gluten, actually have more lectins in them than the gluten product you just had. So you're trading one poison for another when you go gluten-free. Here are the 10 dangers. Insulin resistance, number one. Why is insulin resistance such a problem? I could go into the, the mechanisms by which gluten causes insulin resistance, but let me tell you what insulin resistance will do to your brain. Your main sugar hog of your body is your brain. It eats glucose and needs glucose in order to function correctly. 
you can make all the glucose you need in your liver if it's healthy enough and you can feed your brain with the glucose you make yourself you don't have to eat sugar folks but here's the deal if you get insulin resistance the insulin that feeds the axon of the nerve cell cannot get through the blood-brain barrier insulin resistance produces a state in which insulin cannot go into the blood-brain barrier it can't get to the brain and the insulin is necessary to push the glucose into the brain cell so what do you have with Alzheimer's what do you have with Parkinson's you have these areas of the brain that are totally shutting down and it's probably because they're starving and why are they starving the insulin cannot get past the blood-brain barrier because of insulin resistance there are a lot of other problems tied with insulin resistance but let's talk about number two what gluten can do for you obesity I don't have to get into that they used wheat to um, fatten up people before wintertime it was used for that because they knew how it fattened people up what's the best and simplest way to fatten up a pig for slaughter this is actually in a pig slaughtering manual that came out of a conference out of Washington skim milk skim milk and shredded wheat skim milk and cornflakes that's how <laughs> that's how you that's the best way to fatten up a pig like raisin bran like wheat bran bran cereals and skim milk that's how you fatten up <laughs> a pig <laughs> and we're all eating our special K thinking I'm gonna lose some weight right so there are a number of ways that lectins make you gain weight um, one of them is from persistently high insulin hyperinsulinemia that's what gets you to the insulin resistance stage but you're gonna store fat instead of burning fat that's why you get obese burning fat is your body's best way to have energy it'll cause leaky gut and digestive problems these lectins will it causes inflammation the food that you consume can pass into your bloodstream and effectively hack your immune system and make it go haywire you will inflame your entire body eating lectins chronic inflammation in the body is associated with a range of conditions I don't have to get into them but cardiovascular disease insulin resistant autoimmune cancer you name it so next autoimmune disorders atherosclerosis and cardiovascular disease can ca be caused by eating lectins these are in plants folks depression is on the rise one of the biggest reasons from my own experience for depression is eating the wrong foods eating wheat can cause depression gluten can cause depression lectins eating a vegetable ridden piece of pizza thinking oh I'm getting the vegetable pizza so it's okay uh-uh folks neurodegenerative disorders there's a big tie between the gut and the brain the sicker your gut the sicker your brain type 1 diabetes 
nutrient deficiencies. If you got a kid that's on a high lectin diet, it, I wouldn't be surprised if they got type 1 diabetes. It inhibits your absorption of vitamins and minerals. My friends, lectins are, the real damaging lectins are found in plants and in seeds. I would urge you to look more into the carnivore diet, to look more into the GAPS diet. If you're having any of these sorts of issues and you want to talk to, talk to Carrie in our office about how to fix that, you can call 801-523-1890. It has been a joy talking with you today. We had a couple callers. That was fun. Um, I hope you learned a lot, and I hope maybe you might change your mind as to what you choose to do on your front porch this year, despite how bad you might look to your neighbors. Don't give candy out at Halloween. This is Dr. Josh. The statements made in this podcast about specific products have not been evaluated by the United States Food and Drug Administration and are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. All information provided or any information contained on or in any product label or packaging or this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for advice from your physician or other healthcare professional. Thank you for listening to this forbidden information and our forbidden podcast. Join us next time for another in-depth discussion of forbidden knowledge. We will see you then.